Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 83, The Dance, First Blood. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hello everybody and thank you Scatalicious. Today we are covering, this is pretty cool, we're covering the first kind of third of The Dance of the Dragons. Um, detailed kind of in two Targaryen historical works by George R. R. Martin. Our first initial idea was to cover The Princess and the Queen, um, but this account is also in the new book, Fire and Blood. Uh, the Princess and the Queen, you've probably heard of the novella, originally re released in an anthology called Dangerous Women in 2013. Uh, so that one's been around for a while. But then Fire and Blood, which just came out this year, of course, contains even more information about the same topic. It goes deeper. And since we like to finger deeply, here we are. So uh, you can either grab the Dangerous Women anthology or... If you want to grab your copy of Fire and Blood, you can flip to page 391 and go with us until page 449. Yeah, Dangerous Women's kind of a quick read. Um, kind of takes the whole dance and shoves it into like, I don't know what it was, like 70 pages or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and this is much more expansive and mm -hmm. frankly much better. They just flush out everything quite a bit better. Mm -hmm. um, so we just kind of decided to go go deep. You know, something we're used to. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, so... We try to, anyways. Yeah. So we're, we are kind of moving to the announcement section and kind of reiterating a little bit. We are in the middle of what we wanted to do, which is the, to cover the three Targaryen-based novellas uh, in chronological order. We did The Sons of the Dragon first, then we did The Rogue Prince, and now uh, we're at The Princess and the Queen, but we're kind of doing it a little bit differently to get all that extra juice, like Matt just kind of talked about. So we thought it would just be silly not to just kind of devour the whole thing uh, instead of, you know, come, instead of coming back to it later, which would just be rehashing a lot of stuff we already covered in The Princess and the Queen. So that's what we're doing. Uh, it's in our kind of effort lately of kind of being completionists on George's Song of Ice and Fire materials. We'll see what that means for the future. But for now, this is where we are. Yep. Dance of the Dragons. It was fun. It was fun studying up for this sucker. It was. Good was. Time. It was. I really enjoy the Dance of Dragons. Uh, there's just a glut of just information, mm -hmm. facts, data, and dates, and names. Yeah, and, people, uh, and yeah. no good guys. <laughs> yeah. Just like... <laughs> well, war makes the worst of all of us, right? I, I saw yeah. it just recently written that uh, war was probably as part of Song of Madness, which we'll get to also. Somebody said that you need war to show you who the heroes are and who the villains are. And I, I was like, yeah, maybe there, there are for sure some heroes, but I feel like it makes us all worse. Yeah, dude, I, I feel you. I was just, I just the other night watched, uh, came across old Platoon on Netflix. Oh yeah, that yeah. movie's rough, dude. That's brutal. That, that is a rough film. Yeah. With uh, good old uh, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, Willem. Yeah. One, one of my favorite bits from How I Met Your Mother is when they say that uh, Willem Dafoe sounds like a frog and a crow saying his name. Willem Dafoe! Willem <laughs> Dafoe! Actors. Willem Dafoe. Funny thing about Willem Dafoe, uh, his name kind of sounds like a frog talking to a parrot. Willem. Willem Dafoe! 
I can't say I've seen that. Content you'll only get here on Bobo's Fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming up, guys, in just about a month. Well, this month. This month, as of today. Happy April Fool's, Scad. Happy April Fool's to y'all. We're not really recording an episode. Gotcha. Good night, everyone. Shortest episode just, ever. Gotcha. Um... Uh, we've got Ice and FireCon coming up. Scad and I just spent half an hour of time we could have been recording on a Monday night talking about it. So yeah. well worth it. We Scad's got a lot of balls in the air. I've got a couple. and um, But most of all, we're looking forward just to meeting you guys. So it's going to be fun. Yes, very much. We're really excited. Lots going on. Um, we're just looking through the schedule. Lots of great panels, yeah. activities. Oh my goodness! Just sick about the ones we're gonna miss that we already have things scheduled over. But uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, if you haven't got your ticket yet, get one. Uh, they're almost. I, I watched a, an update from the small council that they recorded l- uh, late last week, and um, rooms are almost gone. In fact, they might be gone by now. So take a look if you're interested in going. It's getting late. Mm-hmm. April twenty fifth through the twenty eighth. That's right. In Ohio. That's right, just outside of Columbus. Uh, nice resort. Um, yeah, it's great. It's it's great time. Great location. Um, wonderful breakfast buffet that I like. Biscuits and gravy. <laughs> uh, there is no sadness that breakfast food can't cure. <laughs> that sounds like a Swansonism. That's Ron Swanson. Uh, yeah, I thought so. All right, uh, Song of Madness is wrapping up, guys. Oh uh, my goodness! We're recording, and we are just now finishing the round of eight. Uh, it looks like the last two entrants will be. It looks like Bran and and uh, Davos into the, yeah, barring a, a barring pretty significant comeback so. by Tyrion. It's yeah, it's gonna happen. So. Yeah, twenty seven hundred votes in or something. It's a pretty big ten points is a pretty big margin to make up. I, mm-hmm. I've been floored by the amount of participation this year. It feels like we've broken records for total vote counts several times. Um, that Danny uh, Brienne one was crazy just yesterday. Yeah, but, I think uh, we got 4,800 or something like that in the end. I didn't. This episode will actually release on the day that Song of Madness finishes to the public. So, yep. you got any predictions, Matt? <sighs> Well, I already saw your prediction, so I was trying to change it up a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think I can. Yeah. Um, I think Davos has just destroyed everybody on his way. I was looking at history this week. It's crazy what he does to people. He always does very well. And I think people are are very conscientious of the fact that he's been the second runner. He's been the the runner-up, not second runner-up, the runner-up three years in a row and and i think he's he's built up quite a following there so i think he will edge brienne but i think it'll be a close one she's got of course quite the following too a lot of people want to see her go far this year she does Um, yeah i agree that next that those next two matchups are or matchups will come before it actually those that's a difficult one you got Arya versus sansa and you've got jamie versus ned um yeah I think Jamie will beat Ned. I do too. I that Arya Sansa one's going to come down to it, but Sansa, the people who have come out in support of Sansa this year is, yeah. has surprised me. So I think that she is going to knock off Arya this year. I think it's going to go down to Davos Sansa, and I think Davos is going to win. I think she will too. There seems to be a sense sometimes with the people that have participated for several years that they 
they kind of know who won before and they want mm-hmm. to like give other people a chance. Yep. And I think you get that sentiment with Davos. And, so giving. And also I think we'll see that in the Sansa Arya matchup. I guess you guys will either be laughing at us or nodding your head when this comes out because it'll happen. Is it tomorrow? I think that matchup is tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is Arya Sansa. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we'll see. But my guess is, yeah, the people will come out in support of Sansa to say, Arya, you had your turn. We're gonna we're gonna support Sansa. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting um, to see. But yeah, my my prediction is that Davos will defeat Sansa in the final. There's still enough Sansa hate out there from crazy people uh, that. That I think Davos and, and enough people love Davos that I th- think he'll come out on top in the end. That's how I feel too. As much as I tried to go with a different matchup, like, yeah. I think that's I just feel like that's what's going to be. But yeah. anyways, um, as as this tournament has gotten bigger and bigger every year, it's gotten more and more fun for the two of us. Yeah, so right. it's been immensely rewarding. So yeah. thank you guys for making it what it is. It's it's so much fun to see uh, how it brings us all together, and we just have fun. Um, we started calling it hy- hyperbolic, hy- hyperbolic, hyperbolic char- yeah. character assassination. <laughs> yeah. We just you key in on these little tiny things and just needle at them. And uh, my favorite one was something about Ned Stark and how he he executed, executed a... a poor war veteran with PTSD <laughs> yes. or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Garrett, was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We find these little tiny things and you just needle at them just to try to find any advantages. So much fun. But people are still clinging to the nimble dick thing. They're like Of course, yeah. Trying to trying to get the nimble dick vote out from, you know, Brienne Nimble Dick love Brienne. Vote for Brienne for Nimble Dick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of good stuff. You know, I've mellowed a little bit too on it. Um, I used to get riled up when people would call people like a rapist or something. I'm like, well, technically, you know, I'd get involved, and I've stopped that a little bit this year. But it's still been it's been great to see. It's it's yep. been great to see. I haven't seen as much vitriol between posters, like right. taking things too far against each other, which has been nice because I like yeah, that I... spirit in the fandom. But... I, I put a little tweet out yesterday to everyone saying how proud we were of them for yeah. for the way they've treated each other. I'm like, yeah. I'm okay with hyperbolic character assassination, but it's when we start flinging insults at each other as human beings that right. I stop having fun. So right. thank you guys for making it fun, Indeed. those who played. And those who didn't, get on it next year, you miserable jerks. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's move into the podcast. So... Uh, as we've been doing, like we said, we're, we've been covering these novellas. It's it's changed up our format a little bit. Um, you know, we usually do like these our more traditional chapter summaries. We don't have those; there aren't chapters, so we kind of just dive into the history and kind of summarize parts of what happened in sections and uh, and do some do our standard commentary stuff in there. And uh, so it's all on the table for the whole cast. Nothing is off 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 limits. Song of Ice and Fire, Duncan Egg, the histories, anything, anything we can think of, canon will be in here. So hang on tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, as always, if you want to reach out to us, we love hearing from you. So DavosFingers.com. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter handle, which is very busy right now, is at DavosFingers. We're on Facebook. And uh, you can learn more about our Patreon program at Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. 
yeah, we just agreed to do a, a Captain Marvel coverage here, uh, which we're going to make time to, to talk through here in a few days. So that'll be coming up on the Patreon very soon. Yeesh. All right. Shall we dive in? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so just because of the way this is going to be with the dance, and it's, it's likely going to be three episodes that we cover it in, um, I decided to just kind of write an opening and a closing to kind of open and summarize where we've come from and where we're going, and then also at the end and kind of where we've been and prep for the next episode. So we'll have these little openings and closings hopefully for the next few episodes. Um, so here we go. Death comes to us all. But as noted in the play Sabrina Fair by Samuel A. Taylor, it should never be unexpected. In the case of Viserys Targaryen, even less so. The end was a long time in coming, and the claimants to the throne prepared for years in advance of his death, gathering allies, making heirs, trading barbs, and generally positioning themselves for rule, while the people-pleasing king did nothing to stem the tide of aggression from the opposing sides. When the king finally died in 129 AC... It was as if the dam finally broke, the waters rushing in to fill a void too small to contain it, creating a turbulent, stormy lake that couldn't help but boil over with all the dragons bathing it with their flame. And so we begin, with the first of those claimants trying to stay afloat on this rocky tide. So we're starting with Viserys' death and the meeting of the Council of the Greens. Got a little mm-hmm. quote here to kind of kick that whole thing off. The manservant delivered his dire tidings directly to the queen and her alone, without raising a general alarm. This was not wholly fortuitous. The king's death had been anticipated for some time, and Queen Alicent and her party had taken care to instruct all of Viserys' guards and servants in what to do when the day came. And so that's what, that's what we open on, really, is the death of a king. And everyone knew it was coming for a long time. He was a king that was not in good health for the last, well, 15 years or so, I think. Um, even injured himself badly on the throne several years prior, uh, and people feared for his life then. Um, but he kind of pulled through. So his health was bad. Everyone knew it was coming. Um, so, you know, in that respect, high marks to the Greens for their preparation. Um you know, they, they basically told all these servants to come directly to Queen Allison when he finally did die. When he finally kicks it, come to me, right? <laughs> this poor servant, taken into custody, likely never heard from again. And uh, Matt, this is my problem with the whole thing. Fucking Targaryens, right? Just like, the people don't matter. The servant is oh, yeah. just cast aside. Thank you for yep. your service of doing exactly what we told you. Your reward is prison for life or, you know, a slit throat or something. Yeah, later we're going to talk about a, a whole, everyone who holds a certain job is going to get killed. Yeah. Just for holding that particular job. Yes. Yep. Fucking Targaryens. Targaryens it's really, indeed. It's really, I said it, and I think it was in Dunkin' Egg, it's, it's getting really hard for me to stomach them. Um... You know, I know they're not all bad, but, and, you know, I guess to be fair, the people really in control here aren't even Targaryens. It's Alicent and Otto, and they're the ones really pulling the strings. But it still speaks to the elitist. But it's as the world turns, man, yeah. with the Targaryens. It's, it's, it's the world turns around them, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. 
You think you think uh, something was done to speed along Viserys' death? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, I we don't know. Yeah. Mushroom Mushroom supposes that that there was that Allison maybe finally got tired of waiting. Um, you know, I was gonna say no, but at the same time, like clearly she was planning all of this stuff, right? She'd been in conversations with Otto and probably other members of the small council to do exactly this thing when it happened, right? And so if you're willing... And it helped, you know, it's... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say it's fortuitous that Rhaenyra's in labor Yeah. Yep. right when this happens, right? For sure. And if you're willing to plot against your spouse, preparing something for after they die that you knew they would disapprove of, she has petitioned to change the order of succession to support her son Aegon, uh, Aegon the Second, what he would be, Aegon the Elder, they sometimes call him, right? Um, and he always said no. For years he said no. So she's been plotting this thing for a long time to overrule something that he's ruled on many times. So there's not like a whole lot of respect between them that she's trying to honor. So would she poison him to speed it along, given the timing like you're talking about? It's hard to say she wouldn't do it. I don't think she did, but it's hard to say. Like, I no, I think that's above her character. Mm-hmm. Cause she's stone cold calculating. I think. Oh. I mean, we have to remember from our previous episode when we talked about Allison how well regarded she was for her intelligence and cunning and you know things like that. She's no, you know, she's no meek lamb here. So could she have for sure? But it, don't you think it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty, it's like one of the worst things you can do to portray a partner like that. Right? The way oh, she's... you think so? Well, I don't know. Yeah. And and you justify, and you justify it with, you're doing it for the kids. I guess. You know what? The, so with the Song of Madness, I got into it with, um, got into it with, I think it was Cersei. Um, she's, uh. Uh, she's a friend of, of Beth's, I think, actually, um, from the Facebook group. Yep. But uh, she and I got into it about Bran and how Bran's skin changes Hodor and how he knows that something's wrong in what he's doing. And, you know, he he almost, he almost he says he thinks of telling her, then he, he chooses not to. And she's kind of right. Like, if, if, if you have a thought like that, like, oh, I should. And then you're like, no, I'm not going to. That's a sign of shame that you're doing something wrong. That's your conscience telling you, hey, something's wrong here. And mm-hmm. Allison for sure knows there's something wrong here. You're not doing something. You're not you're not doing something you should be doing with the way you're planning all this stuff. But like you said, do it for the kids. It's a little And, and you moment, can right? get to and you can get to a point where you convince yourself that the greater good is in and whether it really is for the greater good or not, you can convince yourself that what you're doing is that. And I can't. Hear, I don't know. I can't hear the phrase "the greater good" without thinking of "I'm the greatest good you're ever gonna get" from Incredibles. I am your wife. I'm the greatest good you are ever gonna get. My kids and I say it all the time. You're on an incredible kick, are you? Yeah, we like that one. Not both of them. The old one and the new one. Um. Is 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 Cersei your comparison for Alicent? Who do you think Alicent is like 
Got any comparison there? There's definitely some Cersei there, just in the sense that it's the queen and everything. And, of yeah. course, then you look to the obvious comparison of King Robert and, and Viserys, too, uh, mm. and how that whole thing played out. Mm-hmm. Robert, also a man who's gluttony had led to poor health and everything. Um, Viserys, we don't know that he lived the type of party lifestyle that Robert did, but uh, poor health anyways. Um, so, yeah. I can't think of really anyone else that's a one-to-one comparison. Yeah. So, let's move on to the the actual council itself. So, uh, in the Green Council, we have Alicent. We have Otto, her father, the Hand of the King. We have Kristen Cole, who's the captain of the Kingsguard. We have Grandmaster Orwile, uh, we have the Master of Queen Lyman Beesbury, Master of Ships Tyland Lannister, Laris Strong, the Master of Whispers, and Ironrod Jasper Wilde, the Master of Laws. Now, most of these guys, for better or worse, seem into it. They're not really fighting. They even most of them come up with some reasons why it's the right thing to do, and we'll come to that later. Except for Orwile. Um and Beesbury. Now, Orwile, yep. yeah. Orwile clearly, he's either not in it, not in on it, or he's trying to save face in his confession later, because it's noted that Orwile's confessions later were kind of like trying to save face, right? Um, so what we know of what he said. Um, but he starts the ball rolling with all the normal stuff. Okay, uh, we got to get, you know, the, the Septons in here to bless the body. We got to tell the family. We got to let Princess Rhaenyra. Yep, yep. We got to do the bells. We got to get Princess Rhaenyra ready for her coronation. So he's clearly, like, either wasn't in the plans or, like, maybe he was, like, told once and he's looking around the room and he's nervous. And so he just decided to start going down the regular path. You know? Is this really what we're doing? This, uh, I'm just going to start it off like normal and see if anyone and says everyone's anything. And like, everyone's like, we're <laughs> going to stop you right there. Yeah. Or or we. Right. And, and so the line, the way George writes it, is lovely. Uh, until the question of succession is settled. Until such time as our new king is crowned, says Otto Hightower. So they they basically tell him to wait. All these things must needs wait. Until the question of succession is settled, until such time as our new king is crowned, and you know there's some looks. King, you mean queen, right? Queen, we have a queen now. Um. And then you know, then they kind of go into the arguments. Um. You know, if the problem with coronation, and the the way this all works, at least one of the problems, is that you do have to crown a new king. And until you crown that new king, the hand of the king is in charge. Sir Otto here, like it could definitely be argued, is not out of his realm of control. He's not doing anything, quote-unquote, wrong. He is supposed to manage things until the new king is crowned. So, you know, while his methods, I think, are disagreed with by many, he's technically doing his job, right? Technically... Technically, technically, but also the hand of the king is supposed to carry out the orders of the king, correct? Yeah, true. Yes. Which is to... But the king can't give any orders. Yes, but Viserys is on record saying, Rhaenyra is my heir. Right. So he should be carrying that out and, and doing that. I can't believe I'm defending this douchebag, but 
If I'm Sir Otto, I could easily convince myself, for the good of the children, for the greater like good. Like we said. Like I could we say, said. like, I know yep. he told me that, but I can see now the state that the realm's in when he died. I didn't think he'd die now. I thought things would be fixed by the time he died. I can see now the state of the realm is that if we crowned Rhaenyra, it would be bad for everyone. So as ruler, I'm making the decision for the good of the realm to do this instead. And I happen to be putting my grandkids on the throne. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just saying <laughs> that that's an easy thing to talk yourself into. It is. Yep. Same with Allison. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Um, yep. Okay. So so the, quickly, just kind of the arguments. So Beesbury has arguments, right? He's like, no, yes. no, 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 no. I'm not letting this go down. Rhaenyra is older. She's got more Targaryen blood. She was chosen by the king specifically. There were hundreds of lords and knights that sworn to uphold Rhaenyra way back when. And the issue came up multiple times to Viserys, and he held strong every single time. Chosen said, no, by the king Rhaenyra. over and yep. over and over again. Yep. Although I would quibble... Well, I think I said this in the last episode. I don't think he was strong enough in the way he did that. It was more like dismissive, like I don't want to talk about it, instead of like forceful, other than mm -hmm. maybe like one occasion or so. Anyway, yeah. for better or worse, those are the arguments. And the response from the Green Council is basically like, so? So what? And like, their arguments aren't terrible. I mean, the, the law count, the Council of 101, um, you know, said that it should be a male heir. Um, you know, they say Damon's an a hole, they'll murder Allison and her kids if they take control. But all of these reasons, really, they just kind of amount to that's not what we want to do. Right? <laughs> like, that's really all it is. And so. Mm -hmm. Beesbury won't take it. I am an old man, and, but not so old that I will sit here meekly whilst the likes of you plot to steal her crown. He's up and gone. Or is Kristen he? Cole. Yeah. Peace. Two stories here. They said they he either threw him out the window mm -hmm. or he slit his neck. Or even that they sent him to the dungeons. There was actually a third story. Oh, yeah. Because that he died in the dungeons sickness yeah. or something while he waited trial either way you know what dude beesbury went out like a boss he did he did like an old boss uh good for him um, proud of him yeah you know a little bit shades of uh you know not maybe as glorious but these old men of of the north that go out into the winter to die so mm -hmm. that their families don't have to feed them uh you know he's like i'm old i'm you know no, no way. I'm not going out down like that. Yeah. I hate that I'm quoting Fallout Boy, but like a sugar, we're going down swinging. You know, I, I don't even know. I couldn't even Fallout Boy. That's I a good song, actually. I couldn't you know even what? tell it's a good you song. the era they're in. Like, were they late 90s? Uh, 2000s. Okay. 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, their first album was really good. Mm. And after that, it fell off quickly. It fell apart. It's pretty common. Yeah. Huh. It happens. Anyways. Um, so, which which one do you believe? Which are those stories? I don't care. Yeah. I like, yeah, the, I like the slit throat one. It seems like it's... In, in keeping things quiet. You know, you throw them out the window, you risk being seen and stuff like that. So, It also feels like Cole to do it that way. 
Yeah. Come up, quick slit, done. Done. Yeah. You know, the sending it to the dungeons thing doesn't seem like coal, and you're right, the throwing him out the window when they're trying to keep a secret defenestrating someone is probably not the best course of action. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just a few, few more things on this. So, um, the result is that they basically decide, like as I just said, to keep it a secret. Um, Rhaenyra is at a disadvantage the longer that, that she doesn't know, uh, you know, the more they can kind of prepare uh, before she reacts or does anything. Um, kind of like you said already, fortuitous that she's in the middle of, of she's in her ninth month of pregnancy. And I'm sure you'll talk about this in your section, but this the news basically drives her to her birthing bed in not a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you know, a huge advantage. Um, Kristen Cole, Kingmaker. Honestly, I feel <laughs> I feel like this is a really low-budget story for such a cool nickname. Kristen Cole, Kingmaker. He becomes Kingmaker because he goes to Aegon II and is like, Hey man, you're king now. And Aegon's like, no way, man. That's my my uh, my aunt's nieces, aunt, my aunt. Both. <laughs> yeah, it's my aunt's. It's my aunt's crown. No, and half it... half sister, half sister. No, slash, there you go, yeah. half sister. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my aunt's crown. And and he's like, no, no, dude, totally not. If it's hers, then your family will die. And he's like, okay, I'm king. It just feels. It's such a cool nickname that that story just is kind of blah. No? Cole Cole starts out really cool to me. I noticed that this story and he becomes kind of one-dimensional as oh. this story goes on. And douchey. Very predictable, super douchey. Um a great propagandist, obviously. I mean, he um, does some cool military things. We'll get to it, but the the Rook's Rest yeah. stuff is was a good play, yeah. but does a good job baiting old rainies and yeah. Yeah. but yeah he's great at the old uh rainier and her family attack ads you know so how, how about this uh part of this story is well uh so i went to phoenix this weekend uh with my two boys it was the first time i traveled with my my six and four year olds mary and pippin uh by myself and uh planes and you know the whole the whole shebang mm-hmm. and uh and i didn't tell him about the trip f- until like two or three days beforehand because i i knew they'd spoil it i knew they'd i knew they i knew they'd let it they'd let something slip because it was a surprise to my parents that we were going to be there and Aegon wasn't even told about this stuff it seems like his reaction indicates that he had no idea he was going to be named king Right? They didn't bring him in to the council. Like, why are the kids not in there? They're old enough. They should be in that room. They're going to be on the other side of the coin. Over yeah. on the blacks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's just, like, almost like... If, if, I'm, if I'm taking that seriously comparison a little further, it's like, yeah, you're doing it for your kids, but you're, like, using your kids, too. And you're you're not really involving them. You're just kind of, like thrusting them into things yeah we i think we talked about that with cersei right that yeah her kids are objects for her to pursue her own vanity a little bit um, which isn't to say she doesn't care but but she does use them in such a way yeah 
Mm-hmm. All right, uh, allies and adversaries. So, so as part of this whole delay in telling everyone, they use that time, a week of it, uh, to round up perceived Rhaenyra supporters and jail them. They cull the city watch and change it so that it's more in support of the Greens. They send ravens to perceived allies. They they bring up the Council of of One One Voting Records. <laughs> like yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, like how did the Senate years vote in this matter? Yes, and they thirty years earlier they look for houses that they think might turn on them and and support Rhaenyra's claim, which basically yeah. is the northern houses, houses on Blackwater Bay, and the Vale and Storm's Ender are are the possibilities. So, in response, they kind of they kind of ignore the North and the Vale for the moment, but they they send Aemond. They have a plan here to send Aemond to Storm's End to achieve a marriage pact and get get the Baratheons in line. Uh, and then the other key thing that they do is they they cart off the t- royal treasury. They split it into fourths. They keep a fourth and they send three others, uh, three fourths of it in three different directions, um, which ends up being you know a little bit crucial later. Kind of a a bold and brilliant stroke. Um, and then they, you know, they crown him, and that's kind of the end of this section. They crown him seven days later, and we thought Tywin stank. Um, Aegon ends up saying, "If I'm king, then crown me." He's tired of waiting. They get fifty to a thousand people there, or fifty to a hundred thousand people at the Dragon Pit to watch. Um, and uh, he gets crowned with uh, with uh, was it the Conqueror's crown? I think. Yep, Hagon one's Hagon crown and sword. And sword. And uh, then he rides away on Sunfire. Um, yeah. And uh, a spectacle for all to see. And a little footnote uh, is that Stefan Darklin, one of the Kingsguards, snuck away with Jaehaerys' crown and was not in attendance at that coronation. So that's kind of the green side of this whole response to Viserys' death. Yeah, man, one week they leave Viserys' body rotting there in his bedroom. Yeah. That's disgusting. How's that for how's that, how's that for respect? Couldn't they at least have, like, weekend at Bernie'd him out of there or something? Like, <laughs> put I mean, him on a chair. If you've seen Weekend at Bernie's, I can't say that I recommend it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just, like, did you really have to leave him stinking there? Just Yeah. Say something. Make up a story. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's true. You'd think Go it... wheeling Viserys' corpse out there, put some sunglasses on him. And... Well, you'd think they could have found... I mean, they surely they know some... Laris must know some of the secret walls and things. Secret wall. Go yeah. dragging his old bones out of there. And yeah. Chucking him down a pit or something. I don't yeah. know. Tucking him away until later. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems like they should have been able to bring some Septon in to do the rights and stuff. Like, if they've got mm-hmm. connections everywhere else, let's take care of that body. Yeah. Well, I guess they still want to do the funeral and everything just yep. to make it look, like, legit. But, yeah, yeah find a, find somewhere to tuck him away for a little bit. Put him in with the meat or something. I don't know. Matt, but... I'm not the smartest dude around, but I, I think maybe it's a metaphor for this whole <sighs> thing. This whole thing stinks. Don't trouble me with your metaphors. <laughs> well, take it or leave it. 
Let's go. Let's talk about. Yes, you're right. Let's talk about Rainier's response um, and and the Council of the Blacks. Like you yeah. said, we did Greens. Now let's do Blacks. So I did a Scad mentioned for that too. Oh yes, please. She was my only daughter, and they killed her. They stole my crown and murdered my daughter, and they shall answer for it. Did they? Okay. Did they? I have that so, question for you later, or maybe no. you have it for me. <laughs> uh, Rhaenyra is in the throes of labor as Scad mentioned when she does get the news of what has just happened and it sends her into this blind rage and she talks about how the the child within her felt like it was trying to claw its way out of her right and she even was in her in her rage and in her desperation to have this baby she was even clawing at her own stomach trying to get the baby out um and in the end this poor baby who they named visenya uh was stillborn and uh had a hole in its chest where its heart should have been maybe also a metaphor scatalicious i was just thinking the same Um, thing that we've got two metaphors for both one for each of these sides Right? Just, black, just thought of it now, yeah. Yeah, a black stubby tail, and uh, like a dragon, a number of other things. Uh, and the baby was was taken and quickly burned in the Targaryen fashion. Um, but it, it makes you wonder if, and unfortunately I probably should have gone back and looked at this. I looked at it a little bit, but I, you wonder if the mood or the attitude or or the state of mind that, that the mother is in can sometimes have an impact on on the child when it comes to Targaryens and the dragon within them and stuff. Well, yeah, yeah I, it's a, it'd be good to go back and look a little closer at the history of when these things happen, the circumstances for birth, but it seems like sometimes it's fairly normal circumstances. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I get that they're magic, but it doesn't seem like that would cause the child to not have a heart Yep. You know, like, I, it seems like it was going to come out dead anyway. One right? thing I did look look up at and thought interesting was, with the exception of Danny and her child that was born uh-huh. with dragon-like features and stillborn and everything, uh-huh. um, and that, that had some unique circumstances, of course, with the magic that yep. was going on and everything in the birth of dra- the dragons, yep. the... The other babies that are mentioned in Fire and Blood and the World of Ice and Fire and stuff that are born with these kind of dragon features and stuff and are stillborn are babies that are offspring of very unpopular figures in Targaryen history, hmm. specifically Magor and Rhaenyra. And uh, this isn't a satisfying answer, but one time, sometimes I wonder if it's just propaganda. Maybe it's not even true. Maybe they made it up just to... Made up the story just to kind of vilify the, this fan, these these people a little bit more. Yeah, that's an it's interesting. I mean, we don't. One thing we do get a lot in Fire and Blood that we haven't talked about a ton about is that what what this is this is written from the perspective of several different several different people, right? You have uh, Septon, you have um, you have the true telling from Munkin, which which was a retelling later. And you have Mushroom's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And um, those are mostly where we're getting our information from for Fire and Blood. 
And Mushroom is there on Dragonstone and seems very pro Rhaenyra um, from his account. So I would think he would have had a record of it. They don't say In that fact, he, he says it, that he's the one that actually takes the baby to be right. burned, if I'm not mistaken. So. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, but, but he is also prone to fantasy and, uh, you know, the crazy story. And so, you know, how much did he? How how loyal was he to her? Maybe he he did, you know, embellish. Yeah. What he saw. For that. Oh reason. no! Just a thought I had. It's just right. interesting that the ones that are called out like that are children of people like Magor. Yeah. And then Rhaenyra, who was the realm's delight at one point, and then ended up being, of course incredibly disliked yeah the victor's right history right so uh you know maybe maybe Aegon the first had his own uh malformed babies and no one wrote about it because Aegon the first was great and people loved never him. said anything yeah yeah so anyways once uh even as she's kind of recovering from this uh she calls her own small council which includes herself uh, her husband slash uncle Damon, uh, the maester that she loves, Maester Girardis, her own children, Jace, Luke, and Joffrey, who are still very young. I think uh, at this point, Jace was 14, Luke 13, and Joff like 10 or 11 or something yeah. like that. Uh, the two Kingsguard members who had been dispatched to be with them on Dragonstone, which is Sir Eric, not to be confused with Sir Arik, and Laurent Marbrand. And then, of course, you had uh, the the funders of this whole thing, Corlys Valerion and his wife Rhaenys. And then you've got some other lords, too, Celtigar, Staunton, Barem, and Darklin, which gives us a reason why Stefan Darklin perhaps uh, turned cloak. His family was was on Rhaenyra's side. Um, yeah, the Darklins have been long, long, long time Targaryen supporters, I think. So, yeah, and they they talk about some of the advantages that they have. First of all, uh, and they've got some significant advantages starting out in this thing. And and sure, manpower and stuff is significantly less. But a couple of the things that they do have, right, are they have the Valerian fleets. So obvious advantage uh, on the water, which comes in handy when King's Landing is surrounded by water on three sides, right? Almost. Yeah. Um, you've got Damon Targaryen who has vast experience in war and warfare compared to everyone else in the realm where there's been nothing but peace for how many years now? Uh, you've got a guy that's a seasoned fighter and knows what he's doing. And the other thing that you have, right, Scad, is dragons. Yeah. Um, the Blacks have significantly more potential dragons and dragon riders than, than the Greenswood almost, what is it? Almost tripling it, uh, in potential dragons. So. Yes. If you, if you count all the ones that are kind of there and available, um, I think it would be 11 to like four, four. Yeah. 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 Now the greens do have Vagar, formerly of Queen Visenya. Yeah, uh, beastie. The biggest and meanest and oldest dragon out there right now. Yeah, almost the size uh, of Balerion at his biggest. His big right. Now. Yep, and still kicking. And many of the the dragons that the Blacks had were were still quite young. Um, a couple older ones, but uh, 
many young ones too and ones that hadn't been ridden in a while and stuff like that. So what do you got on any of that stuff yet? I haven't let you get a well, chance to word in edgewise much. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, yeah. Not not a lot. I mean, you've covered most of the stuff I kind of had written. We talked about the the miscarriage stuff. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would I would add that they're, you know, at the moment when they kick this thing off, they are super underpowered. They have a very, very, very small number of people on Dragonstone and that are already officially supporting their side. I think it's like 300 troops or something like that in terms of soldiers. Right, and very few houses. I mean, the ones on the small on, the, on her Black Council are basically the ones she's got in her camp. Yep. Um, you know, I, I guess, I don't know if you're going to talk soon about, um, you know, their strategy for winning, I guess might include some of this, but you know, they, they basically need to reach out because they are super underpowered. They don't have the manpower to do anything. Uh, dragons are nice. Um, but if you don't have anybody to come in and hold anything, you know, you can't do much of, you know, conquest, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll get that. Get to get to some of the things they do to try to win people to their side. Then but I, yeah, you're right. And, and, sorry. And then I guess I, I would also just add the the sea power is huge. Like you said, Dragons or uh, King's Landing is you know it's a port city, and you know having having that Blackwater Bay is just kind of as great as it is for King's Landing most of the time. It's awful during wartime, and we see that in the main series, Song of Ice and Fire. Um, you know, with with Stannis coming to coming to attack and almost taking the city that way, um, and you see it here with them being able to just choke off supplies. Um, you know, so so it's it's a huge thing for that that sea power, and the Valerians are are big that way. And then on Vagar, he's he's so much bigger than the other dragons, even even with Daemon's, uh, you know warlike history and, and his prowess Vagar is such a threat because he's so much bigger than the rest of them and the fire matters a lot less dragon against dragon than just sheer size as we see when we when we start to read these dragon battles yes so the numbers are an advantage but you always got to keep in mind that Vagar counts for like three dragons yes, just by right. himself yeah right, right. Yeah. so uh, one thing that they decide that they knew, do need to do, uh, so their strategy for winning, first of all, Skad kind of covered it, is fight with words before battle, which was kind of a surprise coming from Damon's mouth. That was his <laughs> idea, right? He's usually like, let's just do this thing. But uh, he he says, we got we to gotta get some people on our side, and we'll talk about those plans uh, in the next section. Yes. Uh, but then we also significantly... Their big thing is let's get some more lords on our side, and we gotta we gotta hold on to that dragon advantage. So they proceed to crown Rhaenyra's as queen of the seven kingdoms. You guys are gonna do this Aegon too. Well, we can play that game as well. Um, we've got Jaehaerys as crown, of course, brought over as Scat said by Stefan Darklin. And they crown her in front of a rousing, riotous crowd of 300. Maybe that's where I got that number of 300 before. But um, crowned at Dragonstone by her husband slash uncle, Daemon, uh, as Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Daemon is named Protector of the Realm as her husband. Uh, her oldest son, Jaceres, Jace, is made 
Prince of Dragonstone, and it's a whole big thing. Um, one line that particularly bugged me is, how many would still fight for her now that she was a woman wed, her body aged and thickened by six childbirths? Dude, hive mind, I wrote the, the same thing. <laughs> Screw you! Like, not it's you. pretty not disgusting you. <laughs> that that's even in consideration. It's ridiculous. Hot so and single? frustrating. Screw you! Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I will get into my opinion on Rhaenyra, uh, uh, but... <laughs> but and she has some flaws but i don't know why this has anything to do with it it's pretty frustrating right what's that line by alanis morissette oh boy now it's we're bringing like up alanis rain on your wedding day no Hand over not feet? that one hands clean the song hands clean hmm. where she's like uh, uh i wish you could tell the world i might want to marry you one day if you watch that weight and keep your firm body that's what it is She's singing that to a dude or a chick or some, she's saying somebody said that about her. Uh, my interpretation of this song, if we're going to start analyzing song, it doesn't say for specifically, but I think that she is quoting a man who is talking to her. Hmm. I don't know. Matt, we're Anyways. assholes. Us men. We, I was like, oh, I'm not, but well, <laughs> yes, we can are. I mean, yeah. Come on. It shouldn't even be a thing. Yeah. <sighs> you right. can... <sighs> um, beauty beauty is, is, is an interesting thing, and these guys don't get it at all. But, nevertheless, um, that's kind of where we are right now. So... Rhaenyra's feigns this this whole thing about peace, and may, and maybe she's serious too. But I kind of think she knows that it's not going to work out. But she publicly claims that if her family over across the water on King's Landing will bend the knee to her, they will all be forgiven. That that the family must have been deceived by the High Towers, Otto and Alicent, and if they will bend the knee and swear fealty to her. Rhaenyra is queen. I almost said tudubang, which means all is well in Portuguese. <laughs> I don't know why that just came to me. <laughs> but that's what came. Um, then what What happens after that? So over on the other side of the water, back in King's Landing, right, Stat, Scad? Uh, Orwile, take, Maester Orwile, decides to take a stab at at offering terms of peace from their end. Yeah. Um, so terms. he comes, yes, I've got terms. He comes over to Dragonstone and his terms for the family are, you guys bend the knee to Aegon the Elder and Rhaenyra, you can keep Dragonstone with Jace as your heir. Uh, your other son, Luke can be heir to Driftmark and your sons, Aegon and Viserys, with Daemon, can have uh, prestigious places at court. As hostages. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> keep them close, right? Mm -hmm. So you can take their heads off at uh, any given moment. Also, uh, full pardons to every lord that has come out and supported you. 
Rhaenyra yeah. is not down with those terms. She famously rips Maester Orwell's chain from his neck, gives it to Maester Girardi's, and sends Orwell packing. So, yeah, that was, I mean, these attempts at peace, uh, they go about as well as anyone could ever expect. They would go between two people that yeah. want power. Yeah. Um, you know, this happens in Song of Ice and Fire too, right? Um with Rob's Rob's uh, negotiating with the crown for terms, right? Um, and it's just, it doesn't, these people, they're just on such far different wavelengths as to what's right and what's proper that it's just never going to happen. It's Espe- their way of saying, we tried. Like, yeah, We exactly. did our part. Like, they didn't want it, though. So. But I, I will say Rhaenyra's, Rhaenyra's, seizing of the maester chain is pretty lit is that what the kids it's, are saying these days it's lit. it was pretty cool yeah uh you're you're lit Chad. Just, just like takes it from him it's like nope my guy gets this now i was sure she was gonna kill him but that was almost cooler but... yeah yeah yoink yeah yoink i mean ranira you know for for being like a focal point of this war like I still feel like the downfall, fire and blood. Like you don't get POVs, right? Like I still, I still feel like I know her at all, really. You know, like she care, she clearly cares about her kids. Um, you know, at at some point when they're talking about their strategy for for how they're going to go about this whole thing, some one of the one of the bar men or you know one of these guys, Massey, brings up, well, let's just go. We got more dragons. Let's just go. And she's like, well, I'm not in a position to ride my dragon right now. I just had this miscarriage, and she's probably right. Uh, at that point, she's not ready. Uh, she's not willing to sacrifice her 14, 13, and 11-year-old in a dragon battle. So she's like, we don't really have an advantage. So she's she is, I think she's cautious and correct in that case. Um, she cares about her family. I don't think she's, I don't think she's a bad person at all. But... I don't know. She's she's also got stubbornness in her. She's clearly an elitist. I don't know. What, what do you think? I think we've all got the monster within us, right? And... <sighs> yeah, she's painted very much as kind of the one to be to sympathize with at the beginning of this story. She is. But, yeah. And and maybe that kind of taints us a little bit. Or taint. I knew when I said that you were going to giggle. <laughs> but I went ahead anyways. Four and a half years. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an interesting thought, though. I don't, I don't know that I thought about it too much, because she does go as as the story goes on, and maybe that's maybe that's a testament to George's writing is that you see this descent uh, happening kind of before yeah. your eyes, even in a in a more historical telling, not a POV setting, yeah. but just by what she's, what's happening and the choices she's making, you almost see the descent of, of into, I don't know if I'd say madness, but. Well, into... again, again, a comparison to Cersei, maybe. Um, I don't think they're as close as Alicent, but like, um, you know, with Cersei, you get to, you get to feel it because you get her POV. And mm-hmm. here you're right. You just get to see it. 
and you can kind of uh, you can kind of what's the word empathize you know with it yep. by, by the what you're being described but um, it's definitely different yep. it is for sure okay before we move on to this next section oh yeah can uh, you want to do a little quiz quiz oh <laughs> uh, I I mean I've always been good at quizzes yeah, I will have. I will accept your challenge. All right. Well, you could just cop out and say we're going to do it for the listeners. <laughs> right? I don't but... do I don't do listen. <laughs> I don't do anything for the listeners. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> just tease it. Yes, you do. Come on. Um okay, so this quiz I was thinking of putting at the very end of the episode like we did with your quiz that you did last episode. Uh, about Jaehaerys's offspring. Oh, yeah, that was cruel um, of me. That was evil. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> and and so I was going to do that too, but then I thought, well, I we might be giving away too many answers if we get too far into our discussion without doing it this now. So my quiz oh, is Dragon Riders. Oh, okay. You ready for this one? Uh, I don't know. I I I feel. I feel like I've been through the Princess and the Queen twice. I've been Enough. through the Fire and Blood stuff. I should know them. I really okay. should know okay. them. So I'm going to give you the name of the dragon. Yeah. And listeners, play along too. Uh, and you give me the name of the writer. In some cases, there's more than one writer. You mean the writer mm-hmm. for like during this time frame or any all time timelines? Writer or writers. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to yeah. know... I'm definitely not going to know all the stuff outside of the dance. I'm, I might know some. I guarantee there's going to be someone out there that does. Yeah, they will. So, <laughs> all right, Tessarion, the Blue Queen. Uh, Darren. Very good. Correct. Uh, Sunfire. Aegon the Elder. Very good. Correct. Caraxes. Damon. Yep, a.k.a. the Red Worm. 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 Uh, let's go with Cyrax. Or Cyrax. Cyrax is Rhaenyra's. Yep. Vermax. Vermax is... Jace's. Yep. Uh, Arax. Is Luke's. We're going straight down the line here. Taraxes. <laughs> You're going too easy on me if you're going straight down the line. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't jumble these up very well. <laughs> Tyraxes is Joffs. Okay. Let's go over to a Stormcloud. Mm, Stormcloud is Bela's? Ooh, oh, no, no, it's, it's Aegon the Younger. Sorry. Yes, it is Aegon the Younger's. You only get one mention of it, really, in the story. Well, we get a mention that he's small. Yeah. And we get a mention later after the, the Battle of the Gullet. Um... Let's see if I I don't quite know how to pronounce this one. Malaise, Malaise, Malaise. Uh, that's uh, the queen who never was. Yep. What's her name? Scott? Oh, Rhaenys. Sorry. <laughs> Forget that was good enough. Let's go to. Uh, oh, here's a here's a two parter. Silverwing. A good Queen Allison. Mm-hmm. And Alisan, sorry. And uh, that would have been Ulf the White. Very good. Yep. Let's go to Moondancer. 
That one is Bela. Yes, too small to ride. For now. For now. Um, let's go to Sea Smoke. Two answers on this one. Leonor and uh, Hugh the Hammer. Yeah. Ooh, Adam Valerian. Oh, dang it! Those, those dragon seeds are tough ones. Yeah. I still get that mixed up. Yeah. Oh, Vermithal. Yeah, right. I should have let's known do, that. I was getting do... cocky, Matt. I was going too fast. Common problem that I have. <laughs> uh, Vermithor. Let's do Vermithor while you're at it. Vermithor was... Uh, Two answers. The Old King's obviously. Mount, Jaehaerys, and also uh, Hugh the Hammer. Yep. Let's go to uh, a two-answer on this one. Vagar. Uh, Visenya and Aemond. Yep. We got two more here. Dreamfire. Helena. Yep. And Sheepstealer. Nettles. Yep. The only other two dragons, of course, Grey Ghost and Cannibal, who were not <sighs> Riderless. Honestly, I did pretty well. I'm proud of myself. You did dang good. You only missed uh, one. One, really. I mean, two if you count um, my Bela uh, blurt. But, uh, yep. Yeah. You recovered. So, great job. You did great. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm sure somebody uh, will pipe up that they got them all first try. Of course they will. Yeah. Little punks. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on to our next section. Let's do it. The dance begins. I swore her my sword. I'm older now, but not so old that I've forgotten the words I said. And it happens, I still have the sword. That's from Peter Piper, while presumably taking a break from picking a peck of pickled peppers. Yeah. A, a, a lord of, of the Riverlands, uh, who's remembering his promise. Uh, so what we get here is uh, the start of the war effort. So the blacks... so so. The Greens really start with kind of a, a letter-writing campaign of, of gathering allies and stuff. The Blacks start with Daemon going to Harrenhal. Immediately kind of just... He, he basically goes there, lands on a turret, and they they bow to him and give up because they don't want to be breakfast. So, as you do. Yeah. As you do. Uh, as, as Old Town can tell you is the safest course of action. Um... So they immediately gain what is, seems to be the constant foothold everyone is trying to gain in the Riverlands, which is Hall. I don't know why anyone bothers, because it seems like everyone just takes it, and no one ever seems to be able to rally around it. But uh, it immediately gets them hostages and riches. The, you know, the, the Strongs have a, a reasonable fortune there, um, so helps their coffers. Uh, it also has a pretty big effect on the Riverlands themselves. <clears throat> Uh, thousands of of common folk jo- you know rise up to support uh, Rhaenyra and join Daemon. Um, they just kind of come out of the woodwork, right? Come out of the come out of the Riverlands, uh, and lords too. Freys surprisingly, the Freys jump in first. What's the right. deal with that? Yeah, it's weird. Make a quick decision. I thought uh, the same thing. I almost put my book down. Had to catch my breath. Uh, the Blackwoods, of course, coming to. Coming to this side of the cause, Mutons, Pipers, Darius, Malisters, Vances, Roots, basically lots of families. But the Tullys themselves, uh, Grover Tully is old, and he uh, he is in support of 
the Greens. But and he, and he keeps kind of declaring from his deathbed, "Go to war, call the banners, we will fight." <laughs> but hard like, eh, But everyone else sees Caraxes at Harrenhal is like, eh, "Why don't we just keep quiet for a little while until you die, old man?" They're like, "Yeah, Grover, uh, we're fighting. It's it's going really well." Which is sometimes haven't lost a single person yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just lie to them. <laughs> Which is sometimes how I feel politically in this country, like. We just need to let some of the young people take over. Yep. Uh, but uh, so so they're basically just kind of waiting for him, and and eventually he does die, and uh, Elmo takes over, and they join up as well. Um, we do get a quick mention uh, in this section, a little weird mention. We'll cover her later, I'm sure. But Alice Rivers and her magic milk boobs. Uh, I'll just say this about her: I'm intrigued, and I don't know why there aren't more theories out there about her. Or maybe there are, and I need to look harder. But she's weird. More on more on her in a future episode, probably. Um, so, Sustaining whelps at Heron Hall yes. for 40 years. Yes. Okay. She know. looks young, but old. She's, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird, weird tale. We'll regale you with later. Send your kids to Alice. Uh, so... So basically, Damon, you know, mission accomplished at at Harrenhal. He he got his foothold. He got check. some riches. He got some yeah. Check check it off the list. Got some hostages and got a groundswell of support from the Riverlands. Uh, a needed infusion of troops for their effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, they've sent uh, Jaceris as part of a as an emissary, basically, to the Vale. And fourteen also, years old, by the way. Fourteen years old on dragon on Dragonback. They've sent him to the Vale. They send him to White Harbor and they send him to Winterfell. So just kind of a quick rundown of those trips. Um, so at the Vale, you have a woman in power there, um, but it's you know over a territory that's constantly kind of questioning her ability and her rights and things like that. She seems capable. Um, she has to be. She, she has to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, she notes that Rhaenyra is her queen. Uh, she's closer to her. Um, you know, genetically, I guess. Um, <laughs> she's an Aaron on her mother's side, kind of. Um, and also, I think, you know, Rainier is a symbol that women can rule also, which might make things a little bit easier on Jane there. Oh, for sure. Uh, they, Damon has a history in the Vale. I don't know if you remember that from our last episode. They kind of think Damon sucks, but they're willing to look past it. She has one condition, that they send her dragon riders. The only weakness of the Aerie... Uh, is that they can send a dragon right up there and they're pretty vulnerable. Which is kind of a weird thing to say because sending a dragon to any castle makes them vulnerable. No one else is demanding mm-hmm. aerial support to make sure their castle isn't taken. But whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, when you've lived that long with yeah. not having to worry about it, you, you only have one worry. Yeah. That's from the air. So. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, so... So she makes them promise that, and they do. They promise. We'll send yep. you aerial support. You um, got it. So then he moves on to White Harbor. Um, you know, the Manderleys, uh, they have a history of being driven away from their things that they think are their rights. They're sympathetic to Rhaenyra's cause. Uh, but they also have a little bone to pick, if you will. Uh, they have a forgotten promise of a Targaryen marriage. So... Way back when we did that quiz about the uh, the 
Jay Harris and uh, Alisan's offspring. We talked about Viscera, who died in the streets on her protest ride, rather than mm-hmm. going north to to wed Amanderly. So he wants a marriage. So bada bing, bada boom, Joffrey is now engaged uh, to a daughter of the Manderleys. Surprise! Surprise! Uh, what do you think about that, Matt? That match? That uh, decision from Jaceris to make that promise? You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. In those... And uh, we had a... So... I think he's still one of your coworkers at your job, formerly a coworker of mine um, from up in Calgary. And every time he would come down to Salt Lake, we would talk about hockey and we'd talk about all the different trades that were being made and stuff like that. And how do we say it? He'd always say, like, well, what'd you think of this trade? And I was like, oh, it was good. But, you know, the such, such and such team had to give a lot up to get the guy. You know, they had to give up draft picks or whatever, you know. And and he goes, you can't look at it that way, Matt. You got to look at not what they give up. You got to look at does this accomplish the objective that they were trying to to complete the trade for? You know, does this get them what they were supposed to get? And I've always kind of thought that I don't know if I completely agree with that because in a sense you're mortgaging your future sometimes with these things. I, I'm sorry I'm speaking in sports metaphors, but. You know, you you give up a draft pick for a player now. If that player now doesn't pan out, well, now you don't have a chance to get that really good player in the draft later, right? And so does it accomplish their objective? Yes, they got the Manderley's help. Did they potentially mortgage their future or put them in a tough spot later? Maybe. So it's hard to say. Yeah, uh, that's, that's always an interesting question with sports stuff. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like, I feel like maybe he overpaid. I feel like maybe Manderley would have been happy with like, you know, one of Damon's kids or something like any Targaryen marriage, I think maybe would have done it. But Manderley knows that he knows that he knows that, um, that they need Jace is desperate. They need people. And so he can bargain from that higher position. Yes and no. I think I, I I wouldn't have stopped if I were them. I wouldn't have stopped at White Harbor at all. White Harbor is leal to Winterfell, and so I would have gone to Winterfell and said, "Get him in line." But um, you know, maybe, maybe Joffrey just seems like a that's a that's an expensive coin to be paid because because yep. he and and uh, Luke, who will look at this story in a little bit, are already spoken for. Yep. So he's kind of like the next biggest piece, piece they got, and they're giving it to Manderley. Yep. Viscera was like... He's a, he's a first-round draft pick. Right. Is. Viscera, in the original deal, was like child 10 or something. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of them didn't live too long, but still, you know, let's throw them a lesser bone. Yeah. Let's not give them the femur. Let's give them, you know, I don't know. But then my, if Manderley says my biology no, failed me. then boop, gone. He's not going to say no. He wants the relationship. 
Anyway. But 14-year-old Jace doesn't know that yet. Yes. Well, that's part of my point, is that they gave Jace negotiating power here, and I don't know if he's really ready for it. Um, right. You know, I mean, all said, like like Big DS said, you know, he's getting the job done, and, and moving moving on to that point at Winterfell, he also gets the job done. He yep. becomes fast friends with, with Lord Cree and Stark, who's pretty young. Um, they go hunting together, drinking together, Oath of Brotherhood, the whole nine. Um, there are different stories about his time up there. Uh, Septon says, of course, that he spent most of his time trying to convert <laughs> to convert Lord Stark to the Seven away from the old did. gods. Of course, the Septon wants to make That's it all about that. Of course, what a fourteen-year-old talks to a twenty-one-year-old about. Yeah, of course. Uh, then there's, of course, Mushroom's account, which is that uh, Jace married a, a bastard sister of Lord Cregan's named Sarah. Um, married beneath the gods would consummate it right there in the snow in front of the old gods. Hot. That's uh, an old Vegas wedding right there, yeah. I think I found I think I found a new kink for myself, Matt, because uncertain virtues, half wild, unwashed bastard. That seems seems not so bad. Um mm. but uh you know, there's I don't know that there's a I don't know what you think. You think there's anything to that story? Well, potentially, there's, you know, they talk about how when Cregan, you're going to get to this, I'm sorry, but the pact of ice and fire. Yep. And this is a, this could be potentially a whole new side to that pact of ice and fire. That's, are there, are there little starklit Targaryens running around somewhere? Um, Up there in the north? Yeah, up there in the north that are unaccounted for. Sarah have kids later? I don't know. Well, it would just be the one, right? Or, I mean, twins, I guess. Or something. Yeah, but, just one. Um, There's a slight parallel there, too, if if you subscribe to the whole theory of Danny and John eventually getting together. Hmm. Uh, you switch genders, obviously. You have Jon Snow, and then you got Danny, the Targaryen side. Well, there's also Rhaegar and Lyanna, if you subscribe Rhaegar to that Rhaegar and Lyanna, thing, if we're going which... to go there, yep. If we're going to go there, we, you we better. St- stayed away from it for 80-something episodes of our regular podcast, but mm-hmm. talk about it here, RLJ. Um, so there's some potential parallels that are interesting, and you see little parallels like this all through this story, right? Of yes. Little connections you can make to the main the Song of Ice and Fire story. It's kind of fun to find them. But... Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to kind of to try to put, uh, to make that a theme, right? There's mm-hmm. something to this Targaryen Stark attraction, right? Even that you know Sarah's a bastard, but you know whatever. Um, you know, there's there's something to that. There's something there. That's a theme. They kind of right? dig each other. Yeah, they just kind of get along, and maybe Jason there's some Cregan are buddies. Maybe there's yeah. some magic in the blood too that kind of draws them together. You know, Jace seems like this very virtuous guy, but in the power of a Stark, he's vulnerable. Because they're, you know, yin and yang kind of thing. Then, of course, the blaring alarm bell is that George actually calls it the Pact of Ice and Fire. Yes, Pact of Ice and Fire. Okay, there you go. On the nose. (laughs) Which basically says, Cregan's son to Prince Jace's first daughter. It's pretty assumptive that he's going to have a first daughter. We'll get to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, She, his Jace's first daughter, would be sent north at seven to uh, basically fulfill that pact and be married to Cregan's son. 
So, yeah. um, the the only other thing maybe of note at Winterfell is they do. This is one of the stories that's all up, you know, out there in the fandom about a clutch of dragons from or a clutch of dragons' eggs from Vermax, um, and uh, you know, it's probably just George trolling us, but uh, you know. Are there are there dragon eggs under Winterfell? Could they rise and do something? Yeah. Septon Barth, of course, indicates. Uh, you know, he, he, people call it a ludicrous claim, but Septon Barth is kind of roundly thought of as like you know one of the greatest dudes around, better thinkers and wise uh, counselors. And uh, you know, not ludicrous is not a name you usually give him. But uh, he says that dragons could change their sex when they needed to, and that, yeah, sure, Vermax could have laid some eggs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But of course, in the text, that's called absurd. Yes. And like you said, ludicrous. Yep. And when I see those words, I think Is the it? lady protesting a little yes. too much. The lady and, don't uh, protest too much, methinks. Yeah, and uh, so of course I believe it, but <laughs> what does it mean? Who knows? Thank you for the Hamlet reference. I always love them. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving on from from Jaceris, so we've got Damon check, Jaceris check, Luceris. Things are going good. Yeah, things are going good. So Luceris also sent as an emissary, not as a knight, upon his dragon Arax. They gave um, him the easy job because he's the younger. Easy job. Go to the Baratheons. They already like us. We're related to them through Rhaenys. It's, it's gonna not very be, far. It's not very far. It's going to be easy. Go ahead. Go go get it done. But bad timing, as as we hinted earlier, Aemond also has been sent to Baratheons to secure a wife in an alliance. And Aemond, the brash young, uh, young Targaryen, basically won't let Luke go. He came as an emissary, but, you know, kind of like Maester Orwell coming to Dragonstone, he's not just stripped of a chain and let go. Uh, he tells him, hey man, how about, put your eye out and I'll let you live. No, no, I'm not doing any of that stuff. He just tries remembering, to go. Remembering that Luke yes. as a child put out Amon's eye. Luke with put Amon's eye out with a dagger when he was six or something. Right. Yeah, five or six. Pretty yeah. bold, yeah. So, you know, this is uh, seven years later or something. But um, Boros... Boros Baratheon is a, uh, he's kind of, he goes with the wind. Highs and lows, anger, delight. Um, he says the words, not a dog that she can whistle up at need to set against her foes. He wants something. He's not just going to go with Rhaenyra because he's got some silly blood ties. He wants something. And Aemond is proposing a marriage, uh, some, you know, something tangible. Um but this does kind of break this family bond that Rayanus was counting on. Um, you know, it's unseen by her that he would do this and seized upon by Otto Hightower. Good on him. Um, you know, this is really kind of the first thing to go the other way that kind of went against what people were expecting. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a piece that belongs to the other side that we didn't really expect, right? Even to some degree, Winterfell and White Harbor and the Vale, those are all people that spoke up in favor of, of, you know, the female side of things at the council. Uh, this is going the other way, and it's a little bit of a surprise. And, you know, kind of a, a bit of a betrayal by Boros. 
Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, in his defense, it's not like he and Rhaenyra are closely related. I mean, he and Rhaenys are cousins. Clear back, yeah. He and Rhaenys are cousins, but Rhaenyra is like all the way on the other side of the tree. I mean, it's like, yeah. if you look at it, um, so, you know, I, I don't know how badly I blame him. You know, you got to go for kind of like Manderly. You got to go for power when you think you've got leverage and things like that. But what... Because I'm completely just trying to dive into the family tree here without looking at the family tree. If I'm not mistaken, the Baratheon connection is clear back at Amon, who was one of Jaehaerys' kids, right? Jocelyn? Yes. Jocelyn Baratheon uh, marries Amon, yes. Right. Yes. So it's clear he, he back He was there. the heir, right? Amon was the heir, the one that died with the bolt through his neck. Yep. Right, and he was married to Jocelyn Baratheon, and his daughter was Rhaenys. Right, so uh-huh. um, that's that's the connection. Uh, but 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 that's not. And Rhaenys being the supposed grandmother of Jace and Luke. Right, kind of. I mean, like removed. Right, like she's not their direct grandmother. If Lenor. Oh, if yes, right, <laughs> right. If you assume Leonor is the father, then yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If so, then, <laughs> right. So, um, right. So you're right. I guess so. I was thinking just related to Rhaenyra directly, not yeah. not that much. Like it's kind of sure. it's kind of a weird com- combination side thing. But you're yeah. right. If if you assume Leonor is the father, which I don't, uh, have take that, Beth. Um, you know then. Then you're right, should be the grandmother. Anyway, um, it's clear he wants something. Jace was given the power to negotiate marriages, which we just talked about. But it looks like Luke wasn't really given that power. Like, you know, maybe they could have offered something. A sack of lunch, something. But he's basically like, alright, you're not giving it to us for free, I'm out of here. So this is maybe where Boros is kind of a dick. Totally. So Aemond has been challenging this guy the whole time. Vagar doesn't like the fact that Arax is there. Um, and Aemond wants to go ba- basically fight him right there in the yard. And Boris is like, no, dude, I don't want blood spilled, you know, while he's treating here. But it's not for me to tell you what to do when you are not beneath my roof. Fair, Matt? I wink, wink. Yeah. I mean, I guess. That's totally unfair, I think. I mean, it seems totally unfair. Like, let him get safely on his journey or something. Anyway, poor Arax, he never stood a chance. He's much, much smaller than Vagar. Um, the weather's crappy and he can't use his elusiveness to get away. Luke and Arax just go down. If there was a fight at all, it says it was must have been short. Um, and Aemond just takes it to him and kills kills Arax and Luke above above the ocean there. Stormbreaker Bay. So with his death, with Luke's death, the War of Fire and Blood has begun in earnest. Now there had already been some things in play, but this kind of ratches everything up. And it's noted. I mean it's clear that everyone sees that. The Greens reaction is not good. Um one of them says, How could you be so blind? Um, 
I think Allison says, Mother, have mercy on us all. Aegon himself says, a good beginning, indicating that he supports the decision. But basically, the Greens are like, oh, what have you done? This is bad. The Blacks, of course, are enraged. Revenge oaths, an eye for an eye, a son for a son kind of stuff. And they actually they actually take take action on it. Ugh. Through one of the more alarming and disturbing stories that we get. Uh, the most, the most for me, alarming, disturbing story in all of A Song of Ice and Fire. Interesting. Uh, it's yeah. up there. I, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with one I I dislike more, but... Maybe bashing the baby's baby head against the wall. And, and, yeah. and they, didn't they rape one of them, yes. too? Yeah. Yep. That's pretty yep. bad. That is pretty bad. Yep. Um, this but one's this psychologically pretty things. awful. Well, there's no rape in this one. No, It's a trick of the language. We can read the passage. But I thought there was too, but no rape occurs. Um, we'll, we'll, we can read the page and we can, we can find it. But basically, what we're alluding to as we tease the crap out of it, uh, Damon's still got connections in the city. And he uses those connections to find a former member of the City Watch, a huge and brutal man that becomes known as Blood, and a rat catcher that knew all the ins and outs of the Red Keep that history comes to know as cheese um they sneak up through the walls of the red keep um in the secret passages that the rat catcher knows and they get into allison's apartments because they know through damon's insiders i assume that helena brings the kids jay harris jay hara and Maylor, in to see uh grandma before bedtime so they gag allison make her watch and they grab helena and the children as they come in by surprise and they make helena choose which son is killed as the eye for an eye a son for a son to make up for luke's death she picks Maylor, thinking maybe he's too young to understand and instead blood kills jay harris the heir to the Iron Throne. This drives Helena nuts. She literally goes crazy and can't really do anything with the rest of her life. They have to take her kids away and let Allison raise them because she's she's so distraught from all of this. Um, you know, side bonus for the Blacks, that also removes a dragon rider from the fray. Um, you know, uh, they, they do apprehend blood... A little bit later, at the gates as he's trying to leave, he confesses that Masaria, who's a, a, a name from Damon's past, um, was kind of behind the organization of this whole thing mm-hmm. at Damon's request. So that's the story of Blood and Cheese, a brutal, brutal tale wherein these two men murder a child after making their mother pick which one she wanted to have killed. They do keep their promise and don't hurt anyone else in the room, unless you count psychic damage, which I do. Um, Better, yeah. So there it is. Yeah, the passage is Cheese warned the queen to make a choice soon before Blood grew bored and raped her little girl. So, yes. Right. Um, So, but, you know, they weren't above it, had things shaken out differently. So 
you know, these are men that I, are... I don't think I caught it because I only read that passage one time oh. because I couldn't stand to read it more. So. It's tough to read. Uh, I, had to, I had to skip over it. Do you want to give any sort of analysis and dwell on it for a minute, or do you just want to move on? Oh, we can if you want. I, I understand it's fiction. It, <laughs> like, didn't really happen. Uh, you know, it's bad. I mean, I, th- I think part of the reason it's so hard on you is, uh, you know, being a parent and and trying to, I did, try to think of myself in that situation and what I would do. Of course. Yeah, and of course. That's impossible. I mean, yep. um, just awful to even to even think about it. Um, well, it's just cruel. They were going to kill Jaharis anyways, in my mind, no matter who she picked, they were going to kill Jaharis yeah. in my mind because he's the heir. Yeah. He's next true. up. Yep. And so in my mind, they were going to kill him regardless of who she picked. And so for them to do that to her was just pure cruelty. I mean, you're cruel just killing a kid anyways, but to take it that much further to put her through that yes. agonizing, impossible decision of having to pick, that just takes an impossible, disgusting thing to a whole new level. And well, uh, yeah, and, and not that it would not that murdering the prince wouldn't have done this anyway, but it also kind of it just adds more salt to the wound mm-hmm. because this basically ends Helena's life as well. She yep. lives, but she's not really living, and anyone they that sees her baby is reminded every moment. Else. Yeah. Yes, they did. Anyone that ever sees Helena is reminded of this incident, and it's like this thorn that just digs and digs every time they see her about mm-hmm. this moment. And so, yeah, pretty pretty awful. Yep. All right, on that note, open warfare? Yeah, we've talked for um, almost an hour and a half now, I think, about the Dance of the Dragons, and so far we have not had an out-and-out battle yet, Yeah. really. Uh, that's about to change. <laughs> so we're moving into this section as Scad said, open warfare. You got a quote? Sorry. I do. Summoning Sir Otto to the throne room, he tore the chain of office from his neck and tossed it to Sir Kristen Cole. My new hand is a steel fist, he boasted. We are done with writing letters. Yes, indeed. Yes, Aegon's constant refrain throughout all of this is do something do something Otto. you see um battle finally does break out and of course it happens in the riverlands the always maligned riverlands right (laughs) um we have the battle of the burning mill between you guessed it the blackwoods and the brackens the blackwoods of course took the sides of the blacks as gad mentioned earlier while the brackens were on the side of the greens we had a big battle there where the blacks overcame the greens um we had uh, lord blackwood killing amos bracken who was no lord blackwood was killed by amos bracken who was later killed by black alley she's kind of a cool character that'll come she up is. later in the dance of the dragons mm-hmm. um cool kind of archer gal uh, really cool. Anyways, the with the Blackwoods uh, victorious in that battle, and upon retreating, the Brackens return to their home of Stonehenge, and while they were out fighting, Daemon had come in and taken Stonehenge. And that basically ends any green support in the Riverlands. So, the Blacks have the Riverlands. Check. Um, we get a bunch of defections in the Reach as the Blacks take power. So, 
houses that were formerly on the side of the Greens are now uh, changing their allegiance. Costain, Mullendore, big names like Tarley, Rowan, uh, Beesbury, all these bannermen to the Tyrells. And the Tyrells get cold feet seeing all this, and they withdraw their support for the Greens. They don't turn to the blacks. They just kind of step back and, yeah. and go Switzerland, right? The Reach is interesting because even the Riverlands to some extent, because I don't think I don't think they're real threats to King's Landing at the moment, but they're symbols to Aegon that probably piss him off a lot. I get the exactly. sense that Aegon is a he's a proud dude. And he doesn't like seeing seeing these losses, even if they don't amount to much to him. Yeah, if you if you think of it like kind of a board with little symbols on yeah. either side and you've got a column for the greens and the column of the blacks then you've got these little sigils of each house that are on the side that they're on he hates seeing any of these little sigils that were on his side go over to the other side and yeah. it just rankles him um of course dorn comes into this whole thing and and uh sir otto hightower reaches out to dorn to to try to win their support Dorn says, we've danced with dragons before, and I would sooner sleep with scorpions. So Dorn's out. Then you get the Valerian blockade, where Corliss has brought his ships in to Blackwater Bay and is blocking any and all trade from King's Landing, which, of course, the uh, merchants and such in King's Landing don't like that and are making their complaints known to the crown. Uh, furthermore, the Vale, White Harbor, Winterfell... We've talked about them in our last section. They have all publicly now announced their support for the Blacks. So put those sigils over on the Blacks' side. And um, things aren't looking super great for the Greens. And that leads to uh, Aegon's outburst that Scad just quoted and Otto Hightower being dismissed as Hand of the King. Now, Otto's main kind of tactic to this point was to he was writing letters you mentioned it earlier to scat a letter writing campaign he was out uh, trying to win support that way what do you think of that decision was that good or bad do you like this more martial approach to the war at this point Kristen um, brings well which is basically I... this uh, Kristen is going to my new hand is a steel fist as you said we're done writing letters no more letters asking for support you either fight with your king or you're a traitor yeah I don't I don't mind the, that uh, that kind of demand um, but I, I think Aegon was being a little a little impatient like I said they're not at immediate threat I don't think from some of these victories but I, I understand why he'd be concerned but you know he's a I think he's a a young man prone to outburst. He's he's turned to alcohol. It mentioned several times. He's uh, disloyal to his wife. Um, you know, I don't I don't think he's exactly like you know a paragon of of decency and reason, right? He never so, was. It sounds like right. And so you know, I'm not surprised that he's fired Otto. Um, you know, the reality is. Anybody could have told him, and if he had the wisdom to see, that the three daughters, Tyrish, Liss, and Mir, are going to take time to respond. But but what Otto's trying to do is crucial for their effort. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it's later called in history, 33 horses pulling in one direction, the three daughters, because there's just so many different people in charge of ruling there. 
he should have seen that this was going to take time, but it was crucial to do. And so I think Otto Otto was doing the right stuff. Uh, maybe he was a little too patient, and so I'm not, you know, kind of like a good cop, bad cop thing. I'm not that surprised that Kristen Cole went the route he did, and uh, maybe that's what was needed. But I also don't think they should have, you know, maybe just set Otto to the side and let him do some other things rather than, like, embarrass him and, you know, you know, shove him off to the side. Yep. Yeah, before his dismissal, what you're getting at is um, Otto reached out to the Kingdom of the Three Daughters, who, of course, had been defeated by Damon earlier in the Step Zone, so there's some animosity there. And he promised them exclusive trading rights at King's Landing, as well as the Step Stones, if they would clear the Blackwater Bay for him, Uh, which would later sort of pay off, um, but not quickly enough, as you said. Uh, not for Aegon's needs. I mean, it to, to go off. turns out being pretty huge, but yeah. Um, I wonder though, if, if Otto's sitting there writing letters, if he would have taken the, uh, you don't have to do the, the whole steel fist thing, find somewhere in between, do what Rhaenyra is doing. Yeah. Maybe send Aegon with Sunfire, the big old dragon out to some of these people land in the middle of their keep yeah. and win their allegiance that way. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. That... Yeah, I don't disagree. He could have he could have done more. Yeah. Anyways, yep. um, I mean, your yawn is, I'm feeling your yawn too, buddy. <laughs> uh, we're like halfway through this thing. <laughs> nah, we're doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Kristen Cole's, you know, his, his approach is, it's very different, right? Very kind of, like you said, very... Hardline Stanisy, traitors are traitors, you know? Yep. He saw what didn't work for Otto, and he knows he's got to go the exact opposite direction. Um, yeah, they went They went ahead and executed uh, some of the cap- the lords that they'd held captive because of their supposed mm-hmm. allegiance to Rhaenyra. Um, they gave him one more chance. Like, hey, you going to bend the knee? And if they said no, floop, off with the head executed him right there in the yard at King's Landing. Right. Which is interesting because it is it is a, you know, last chance, do it or, you know, dead. <clears throat> but it also removes a hostage, right? Like, so, you know, Beesbury's a bad example because he's already dead, but Beesbury, right? Like, he's got people in the field, family, that want to see him alive. And by executing them, they now have no incentive to come to your side. So it's kind of... yep. It's kind of hit hit or miss, I think. Uh, yep. Yep. You are showing that you're serious, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're removing that hostage. Yep. Yeah. So one of his first plans is you got to keep this revenge game going, right? Once revenge starts, it's it's got to keep going. You got to yep. keep doing the eye for the eye thing. Yep. <clears throat> so Kristen's plan is we're going to send Ser Arik over to Dragonstone to uh to take someone out why sir Eric? well you'll remember that sir eric his twin brother is already there and they are twins to the twinth degree like these guys are exact lookalikes apparently you cannot tell the difference between the two of them so the idea is sir Eric can get into dragonstone poses sir eric and knock off whoever he was sent to kill uh, of course, avenging the death of 
little boy Jaharis, who was killed to avenge the death of Lucerys. <laughs> so um, that happens. Right? I'm, be- I'm betting are... Rhaenyra is the target there. That's my opinion, just because of Kristen's history with her. With her, yeah. That's what I originally thought too. There is some serious baggage in that relationship, and uh, and you knock Rhaenyra off, you knock it's over, right? The, the queen off. The, the crown Maybe. falls to the ground at that point, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Um, so I think so too. I think he was sent in to kill Rhaenyra. Of course, Sir Eric gets in. Everything's going swimmingly. Sir Eric gets in swimmingly, and of course, who does he run into? His own brother. Uh, both are sworn loyalties to their king and queen and they fight it out and end up killing each other in a tragic story depending on whose story you listen to uh, one side says that they it was this tragic heartbreaking battle between two men who died on each other's swords swearing their love and devotion to each other with their dying breaths and the other story of course from Mushroom says that they were just hated each other and considered each other traitors and stuff like that. So. Probably sell <clears> both. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. So anyways, that didn't go so well. No. Uh, then we have some more battling. Duskendale and Rook's Rest. Yeah, this is so, key, this one. I, I Yeah, this is big stuff here. Kristen Cole uh, of the Greens knows that you know, taking Driftmark, taking Dragonstone is nigh on impossible right now. But wait, there are some Rhaenyra supporters on the mainland. Why not take those guys out? So they sack Dustendale, completely take it out. Duskendale is the seat of House Darklin, who we already mentioned. So they're gone. Um, then they move on to Rook's Rest. Uh, there they put Rook's Rest under siege. <clears throat> Rook's Rest is Staunton, right? I think so, yep. He put it under siege. Rhaenyra, still in mourning over the death of her, of uh, Luke, gives command, basically, of the armies over to Corlys Valerion and Rhaenys, and Rhaenys takes her dragon, Maelys, to Rook's Rest to break the siege. She goes in flying and burning and everything. Uh, they're shooting arrows at her and launching spears at her and everything, trying to take her out. But it was all a trap, right, Scad? Indeed it was. Well done from Kristen. Yep. Because in the midst of all of this, all of a sudden, what appears on the horizon? Two dragons. Vagar and Sunfire. I mean, Vagar enough would probably alone probably would have been enough. But uh, they send in Sunfire too. The king goes to battle. Aegon riding Sunfire, his brother Aemond on Vagar, uh, and it's a messy battle, right? Very, yeah. I mean, they, they attack in the sky, and like like we've said before, the dragon fire for dragons of a certain age, the fire doesn't do a whole lot, so they're really just fighting with claws and teeth. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just behemoth, huge carcasses of skin, bone, and guts hurtling to the ground every time, right? It's awful. I mean, it's... It's like nukes being dropped to the ground every time, and they're fighting on the way down. It's <laughs> and uh, down. It's they not go. this delicate, you know, fight. It's it's ugly. Beautiful, it's, graceful water dancer yeah. thing. Yeah, it's 
and it ends up ugly. Uh, Rhaenys with Maelys goes crashing to the ground, as does Aegon and Sunfire. Aemond and Vagar escape relatively unharmed um, through this whole fight, but uh, uh, Rhaenys is killed, presumed dead. Maelys, her dragon, is definitely dead, and they find kind of a blackened husk of a corpse laying next to Maelys, which they assume is Rhaenys, but they can't tell anymore. So we can assume she's dead. That's or a cop-out from George. Like, or on. can we? The armor would give it away, right? You'd think so. I mean... But Dragonfire's pretty dang hot. Yeah. But would that leave anything left? I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, we think Rhaenys is dead. Pretty dang sure. Sunfire is wounded. He tears one of his wings, and, and while he's not dead, he cannot fly anymore. Aegon, though, probably wishes he were dead. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't write down all his injuries here. I should have. But breaks a bunch of bones and everything, and his he's, he's burned so badly that his armor has melted into his skin. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. He's gone. He he's out of commission. Yeah. Uh he ends up being out of commission for something like six months or something like that. Yep. Um Amond takes over as protector of the realm. He's basically acting king while Aegon is is recovering and at the point of death and probably wanting to die. Um Sunfire survives, like we said. He's got the broken wing, he's grounded, and he kind of stays living around the lands of Rook's Rest uh for quite a while. Um Kristen Cole sends kind of a guard to keep watch over Sunfire and to feed him and stuff, keep him alive, basically. Um but he kind of survives but is just grounded for now. And Rook's Rest is is taken by the Greens. So that it's it's a it's a Comes at a cost to both sides, but Rook's rest is eventually taken. So here's here's my problem with this whole thing. Because I understand Rainier not wanting to start a battle over King's Landing right after the coronation because she's not ready to fly herself because she just had this miscarriage. But this is like eight or nine months later. Yep. This is her so fucking claim. Like, she should yep. be engaging here. And and if you're mad about Luke, channel that anger and go out and fight. Do something. Like, yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, I don't want to spoil too much. Let but the like, hatred fuel you. She essentially never, never herself commits herself to any of this fighting. Mm-hmm. Ever, unless you count her fighting with the Iron Throne, which she loses badly. <laughs> <laughs> but Iron Throne didn't like her much. No, but. We'll get there, but uh, you know, like she should be battling here. Like she should be, she should be fighting. She sh- she Even... should have been in on on her dragon. And if she brought her dragon too with Malus, maybe maybe There's they win chance. that fight. Yeah, I mean, friggin' alcoholic Aegon takes the field yeah. once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't. Yeah. It's I I feel like I feel like she should be out there, and you know I don't want to harp on somebody grieving for her child, but that was a while ago now. I mean, 
you gotta get if, if this is this is big you know this is big you stuff took on this responsibility yes yeah it's big stuff you got people dying in the field for you and you've got to show up yeah right and Corliss lets her have it we'll get to that later but he lets her have it for it and he's right i think he sure does yep i agree with you so new dragon tally um just to look over our dragon, Sunfire's down and out for the count. Still alive, but can't fight. Broken. You still have Vagar, yeah. who is huge. Um, you still have Dreamfire on the green side, but Helena is in that mental state where Dreamfire is never is is never even a factor in the Dance of the Dragons. Mm-hmm. And Tessarion, uh, little Daron's... Um, dragon is still deemed a little too young to fight so really when you look at it the greens have three dragons that could fight but really only one that being vagar i think to big enough he hasn't done anything yet but yeah they're still kind of saying he's yeah. kind of too small but yeah. i don't know if he's quite ready yet but we'll see later what happens with him well i mean so darren is about is about luke's age right so he's getting there. Sarion would be about as big as Arax was, maybe, or close. Depending on when he hatched. Depending yeah. on when he hatched, yeah. Obviously, we don't know mm-hmm. all those things. But... Yeah. So, yeah, it's, but yeah. I mean, it's you're right. It's With Sunfire broken, it's two max. Two max is what they've got. Yep. Yeah. And the Blacks uh, aren't doing a whole lot better, so they've had two dragons killed already mm-hmm. in this war. Uh, Rayanese's Melees is down, and Eryx was killed over uh, Storm's End. So you've got Caraxes, of course, which is probably their greatest strength, uh, being Daemon's dragon. You've got Cyrax, Rhaenyra's, who we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Jace has Vermax, and Joffrey has Tyraxes. There's other dragons too, but either too small or do not have riders at this point. Yep. Uh, and that's where we kind of end it with Amond taking up the regency, uh, protector of the realm, um, running the greens for now. So, shall we move into talking about the what rise and fall next? of Jaceris Targaryen? Uh, uh, it was Jace who came to the fore now, late in the year 129 AC. So. Well, things are going pretty well in the numbers game. You know, they got the armies in the Vale and the North assembling and joining the fray. They've got the Reach putting up a strike, strong fight kind of against itself, against the high ta- the other high towers, uh, with the Tyrells, like Matt said, kind of pulling back. Um, while, while all that is kind of going well, things on Dragonstone are not going well. Like we talked about, Rhaenyra is a wreck. She's kind of a shell of herself after her miscarriage and Luke's death. And she's mismanaged and bungled this whole situation with, with sending Rhaenys in alone. Um... She's kind of caused a lot of unrest within her own party. The Sea Snake, like we said, kind of spitting venom at her for the way she's handled it. He's grieving, of course, for his wife. An interesting thing, that relationship with his wife. We'll get to more of that when we talk about the dragon seeds and stuff, but interesting thing, his relationship with Rayanus as they got older, I think, that I'd like to read more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, so basically there's a void, right? Uh, Corliss is angry. Rhaenyra is kind of a little bit broken, and Jace steps up. He makes good on his promise to the Vale. He sends Joffrey with Tyraxes uh, up to the Vale like he promised he would, um, really kind of to protect Joffrey and keep him away from the, the battle. Right, exactly. <laughs> but but also technically fulfilling his promise, although I wonder if if him showing up on Tyrax, if the 11-year-old showing up on a dragon kind of earned some side-eye from Jane in the Vale. I don't know. <laughs> like really, like, really, this really, really, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also sent Rayana, uh, who doesn't have a dragon but has an egg that they're hoping to hatch. Um, uh, so he also sends, you know, kind of having lost Luke, having lost Rayanus, you know, maybe they're thinking a little bit about their, their family line. He, Jaceris also sends Aegon and Viserys on the Gay Abandon, a ship, um, kind of out with, uh, seven warships from the Corlys Valerian fleet, uh, sends them to Pentos, uh, to, to friends of Daemon's to, to, to be there and stay safe. Kind of wait out the war, to, you know? right? Kind of wait it out and protect their line. So, but whenever people get sent away by boat, though, I always think of Shakespeare, <laughs> of poor Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, of Viola and Miranda and Prospero, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. their fates are similarly bad to to all these Shakespearean characters. More on that in a little bit. Um, also, Jay steps up and plans. He, he works with Corliss, right? He names Corliss hand to try to appease him and, and get him back in the fold. And they, yeah, and they plan an assault on King's Landing. And um, now they think is the time, because only Vagar, like we said with the Dragon Tally, only really Vagar remains to defend King's Landing. Tessarion is gone. He's actually been sent to Old Tower with with Darren. Um, and Dreamfire's rider is a mess. Uh, I don't know how they knew that. I guess with Damon's spies, maybe. But Helena is kind of out of it right so they basically figure we got vermax cyrax and caraxes against vagar that should do the trick let's let's do this thing once and for all and then somebody pipes up mushroom says it was him um but somebody decides why not take six instead of three they've got all these other dragons silverwing vermithor and sea smoke plus the wild dragons on the backside of, of, of dragonstone hanging out that they could find riders for, and then they'd have a huge advantage. So, so they do. Uh, they take advantage of what people call dragon seeds, uh, which are um, bastard Targaryens, basically. So, mm-hmm. I guess this is a weird bit of 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 lore from George, and I don't particularly like it, frankly, but. He's decided that Targaryens are special. This is like Peter Jackson with the fucking elves, okay? With George and these Targaryens. <laughs> but he's decided that Targaryens are cool enough that new-made wives don't care about having sex with dragon lords. And so they're proud to have bastard Targaryens in their bellies instead of their husband's children. Because love isn't a thing. Um, so... Dragon seeds are celebrated on Dragonstone, and so there are supposedly a lot of them, and they they basically put out a little, you know, they hammer a bunch of notices into the town square. Want to ride a dragon? Want to be a knight? Uh, anyone you can who can master dragon can get lands and riches. Just come on out and do it. So lots of people died <laughs> trying. Having uh, tryouts. They're, yeah. yeah, having tryouts for a dragon. Um. Yeah, dragon try, dragon rider tryout. Sixteen die, fifty wounded, just with the castle dragon alone attempts with Silverwing, Vermithor, and Sea Smoke. So these are the docile ones. These are the dragons that have been ridden before, and they killed sixteen people. They're like, not today, man. I'm tanning right now. I'm yeah, exactly right. And uh, later they try Sheep Stealer two and get three times as many deaths just from Sheep Stealer and and the and the other wild dragons. So. But but in the end, you know, 
huge game changing. They get four dragons out of it. They find riders for Sea Smoke, for Silverwing, for Vermithor, and for Sheep Stealer. Um, so you know a huge a huge win. Uh, you know, and I don't these know are significant seasoned dragons. mature dragons. Yeah, these are more yeah, seasoned than anybody they got, other than Karaxes and maybe Cyrax. They're not maybe. like little baby dragons. Yeah, right. They're yeah. Vermithor is Vermithor, other than Vagar, is the biggest dragon around. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, yeah, it's it's a huge pickup. It's it's a game changer for this whole war. You know, the upgrade up updated dragon tally just very quickly. It's Vagar and Tessarion, basically with Sunfire being wrecked. Uh, and against Caraxes, Cyrax, Vermax, Tyraxes, Sea Smoke, Vermithor, Silverwing, and Sheep Stealer. It's huge. It's a huge swing. That should be the war, Scad. It should be the I war. Mean, honestly. Absolutely, it should be the war. It should absolutely be the war. We already kind of covered who the riders were, uh, so I won't really go into that. Um, Sign Seal delivered, man. That should be it. It should be it. Um, you know, I, I don't love, just to take a, a side diversion real quick, just like I don't love the first night cop out, I don't love the you have to have dragon's blood to ride a dragon thing. Where do you where do you come out? I've had conversations with this on Twitter with people and, and Facebook and stuff. Where do you come out on this? Well, we maybe have some precedents with nettles of not having to have dragon blood. Yes. Depending do. on where she came from we do it also doesn't say much about ulf the white or, or sorry about um uh, sorry, hard it does hue. about hard hue he's yeah, a blacksmith's bastard so yeah if he's a blacksmith's bastard and if he has any targaryen blood it's either generations removed or yeah the blacksmith had sex with a targaryen woman and somehow kept the child i don't know how that would go which is backwards yeah the whole first night thing yeah right, i thought backwards. of that too so so Unless we maybe it have was some... a female blacksmith for those of us oh, who have seen A Knight's Tale. Damn it. Totally got called out for being a sexist on that one. You're right. I feel like it's not common in this world, but you're right. It's possible. I spent some time on this one. <laughs> so, Didn't write down Aegon's injuries, but uh, thought <laughs> long and hard about old Hugh. So, you, so, so I think, are you coming down on my side then too? You don't, you don't. I just, I, um, honestly, it's mostly just, I don't like the concept. I don't like the idea that you have to have this Targaryen blood because we've been through the blood thing before. How much blood do you need for a dragon to be like, ooh, that's enough, you're okay. Because at this point, half the kingdom's got Targaryen blood somewhere, right? This is how I live my life. Anytime I hear have to, I start to question. <laughs> that's just how I am. And I'm I'm not like a you know me by now we've been friends for a very long time I'm not like a combative belligerent type guy but anytime I hear definitive have to I'm like well, yeah but really yeah but really have to so yeah yeah call it yeah that, calling out people basically that say like I would do anything not to have to do this thing I'm like anything really. You could quit your job, then you don't have to do it at all. Anything? <laughs> your anything line is really short. <laughs> so I fall on the line of, is there is there a tendency? Is there something genetically or otherwise magically that attracts Targaryens to dragons? Or not even so much, maybe not even Targaryens, but maybe uh, 
anyone of Valyrian blood and ancestry, does that tie back to a dragon somehow and, and some and maybe facilitate a uh, a relationship, perhaps. But I don't like the you have to have Targaryen blood to ride a dragon. No. I mean I think it's more much more an economics thing. You know who gets dragons and raises them from birth so that they'll like them? Targaryens do. Who you have know, the eggs? Yeah. Targaryens you know, do. Nobody, so they get to raise the dragons and make friends with them so that when they're old enough, yeah, they're like, cool, ride me, awesome. You used to carry me around when I was little. Sure, I'll carry you around. Right? Like, and, not, and not every Targaryen can do it. So Yeah, right. It's... And so it's, it's more, to me, it's more like a have-have-nots thing. It's like, no, you're right. Random dude from the Riverlands can't ride a dragon. You know why? Because he didn't fucking raise one. Because he didn't have a dragon's egg put into his cradle <laughs> when he was a kid. If he raised one, I bet he'd be fine. Yeah. But anyway, that's my. I am also. Everyone knows. I'm 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 big on, you know, diminishing the importance of blood, but whatever. I'm not a pro hockey player. No, never mind. I'm not going to use that example. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> that that's enough of the diversion. So let's let's just move on right to uh, the battle. So right. So you just set me up, and then I, I diverted back to this this Targaryen blood thing because it's a irksome point for me. But you set it up beautifully. This should be the war. This should be it. Go light up King's Landing. Take it and end the war. Just do it. Do it. Do it. See it. Do it. Do it now. Do it. See it. Do it. Leslie, nope. No, no, that's Dwight. Al also Dwight, yes. Oh. Leslie, nope, and Dwight Schrute both do that. Oh, yeah, right. yep. Um, so so they're about to, uh, but then Sir Otto Hightower's letter writing campaign pays off, mm-hmm. and the three daughters send a fleet of ninety warships. Um, they sack Spice Town. Um, which is, you know, um, Driftmark. Is, on Driftmark. They, uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're coming for the fleet, basically. They're not coming for Dragonstone, but they're coming. So the dragons fly out. Jaceris fa- flies out. The battle's going great. The Asosi warships uh, struck first, but now the dragons have shown up, and they're turning this thing into a rout. However, on the cusp of victory... Vermax is shot down from the sky with a bolt or grapnel, depending on which story you believe, injuring himself with his own pace and speed, crashing into the sea to drown his rider, Jaceris, as well. So, mm-hmm. defeat snatched from the jaws of victory. They're winning, they're winning, they're winning. A dragon is down. The heir to the throne is down. Disaster. So, 62 Myrish and Tyroshi ships destroyed, along with a third of the Valerian fleet, one dragon, and one Targaryen prince. I think the Greens take this round completely. So, Spice Town is destroyed as well, Sea Snake losing a considerable portion of his fortune. Um, so, this is huge. This is a, a backbreaker a little bit for them. Um, they also, in, in anticipation of that battle, lose Viserys. And and Aegon the Younger is scarred for life, um, as their boat, the Gay Abandon, is seized basically by part of this fleet. And Viserys tries to hide. He dons a costume to be a, a ship's boy, uh, but is discovered and taken uh, by men in lease. Shakespeare would be proud. Uh, raised by <laughs> raised by pirates, basically is what it seems like. Um, 
Aegon's traumatic first dragon riding experience, so he mounts Stormcloud, who is not old enough to ride, barely makes it back to Dragonstone. Um, and he's, you know, that brotherly love, though, Matt, is tough to... He's scarred, right? He had to leave his brother behind to certain He's death. overcome with grief that he didn't right. take his brother with him. I think Aegon's about nine at this point. Right. Viserys seven. seven. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, so just awful. So this battle... They call it a victory for, for Both Valerian. Sides call it a victory. Both sides call it a victory. <laughs> Valerian's like, I don't. If this is a victory, I don't want to have another one. I pray I never win another. And um, you know, pretty disastrous because they were about to, they were about to maybe go end this thing, and now what? Now who? Now what? I mean, you could still argue. You know, they've got the dragon advantage, just go do it. It's your yeah, your son died, but just go do it. You still got the advantage. Yeah, did they just did they did they just put all their eggs into Jace's basket? Because everything just fell apart when he went down. And obviously he's kind of the figurehead and everything, but you'd think that if they they had a strong second in command that could have stepped up, they still could have won the day. Well, I think they did win the day. I mean the 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 fleet went back. In the end, they sent went the back fleet off. But it did break the Valerian fleet. Yes. So. They lost a third of the fleet, but they're still around. Um, and I, I don't think I don't think the effort's destroyed, but it does, you know, it, it actually does light a fire under Rhaenyra. We'll get to this in the next episode. But it lights a fire under her, and they do kind of stick to the plan a little bit um, as they move forward. Um, you know, but I think it's just a, a crushing blow because you're right, the figurehead is gone. Um, in the meantime, just to kind of finish this off, the last note is that, you know, in addition to that battle, which was hard, Darren Targaryen has entered the field on Tessarion and saves Ormond Hightower in the Reach from certain destruction. Uh, Ormond Hightower's army is trapped between three armies, um, in the open fields of the Reach, and Tessarion comes to the rescue and saves the day, and basically get, gains control of the reach for the high towers for lack of a better term i mean um darren says at the end of the day my lord is kind to say so but the victory belongs to tessarion darren seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders but uh the victory belongs to faramir as well <laughs> nice good pull uh faramir my favorite so um so basically, you know, the, the tide is turning toward the greens a little bit here, right? We've got victory in in the reach. We've got heirs falling left and right and center for the blacks. Um, Vagar is still hanging around. Um, you know, may, maybe things are turning. They still have a huge dragon disadvantage, but but they're winning. They're winning some battles here. What do you think? Uh... Adam Valerian was talking about to his to Corliss. I don't know. I don't know. There's he, a, there's... he sought out the sea snake after the battle. What is it? We gotta say? discuss something. He sought out the sea snake after the battle. And that's all it says. They had a a long discussion, but no one knows what was said. But that's specifically called out. That was interesting. This was before or after they got recognized as as uh, heirs to this was, mark. This was after the Battle of the Gullet, and right. they talk about how Ulf the White and Hard Hugh, they were like, 
that was awesome. Like right. we're real warriors and knights now. And nettles, it says she was her face was streaked with tears after the battle. Um, I think it was a pretty traumatic experience for her. And then it says Adam Valerian went kind of I don't remember if it says it was like angrily, but he went and sought out the sea snake for a big long combo. Yes, uh, yeah, I remember the I remember the the section. I just didn't remember the the language used, but um, I was just trying to think about whether or not they were already declared heirs to Driftmark or not at that point, because the conversation could have been about that. Um, and Adam Valerian, lately Adam of Hull, sought out the sea yes, snake they were. battle. He was already called Adam Valerian. To each yep. other, even Mushroom does not say. So. I don't know. What do you, you have theories? Nope. So I'm asking you. Uh, nope, I got nothing. Um, I mean, these are. Uh, yeah. The, I it's know. one sentence. It so. is. It is, but it's the kind of thing that George throws in. Like, why? Why throw that in there if it doesn't mean something? It's... Do you think? Uh, who do you think Adam's dad was? Adam and Alan's dad was. Corliss. Me too. Um. But I don't know why that after the battle would have necessitated a discussion about that fact. Sure. But. I mean, but yes. I, they seem very loyal to that side. I wouldn't think it would be like Adam going and being like, hey, are we on the right side? Adam later proves his loyalty. Gives his life, yep. yep. An, interesting, an interesting set of guys, those two, Adam and Alan. Adam has the spotlight at the moment. Alan becomes a rock star later. Yep. But uh, always kind of honoring his brother's memory. Yeah. That's what I like about him. It didn't seem like they were in competition, right? Oh, yeah. They were very much loyal to each other and uh, until the end. So, well, Adam's end anyways. Yeah. Uh... But yes, I agree with you. I think uh, I think those boys are—they were purportedly sons of bastard sons of Leonor, right? With a with a sailor named Marilda, right? Um, but the timing of it is, uh, as the story goes, the timing of their uh, emergence in, onto the scene of them emerging onto the scene is that. They don't do it until after Rhaenys has died. Rhaenys is dead, yeah. And so <laughs> it's almost as if, and the, the text says something very similar, it's almost as if Corlys was waiting for Rhaenys to not be there any longer before announcing that they existed, because they are his. Um, it's safe now, boys. You can come out. Right. And it, it does make me think a little bit about, like I said earlier in the cast, I'd love to just have more information about Corlys and Rhaenys, because... In reading the earlier parts of Fire and Blood, it's a it's a relationship that's fascinating and fun. They're both adventurers. They're off. They're a good fit, right? Even though their ages are very disparate, they're kind of they seem like a good fit. And you know, it seems like maybe it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Maybe. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think maybe, and this is just pure speculation, obviously, but I can see it being the type of relationship was that they, as they as they grew older together. They recognized how good of a team they were. They recognized the advantages of of being together. Um, but maybe there wasn't that romantic 
fire that kept burning, you know, all the time. And yeah. and it became more of a, a team where they respected each other as individuals and stuff, but maybe not so much the husband and wife deal. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, a cynic, but I, I get the sense that's how most marriages end up. <laughs> um, you know, we just had, we went to Phoenix for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary just this past weekend. And, um, they're, de- I feel like they're definitely there. I, I even kind of made a little speech about it. Just kind of like the, the love is, you know, taking care of each other and being there for each other and giving them each other what they need. And, you know, they're very much partners, mm-hmm. but their love is weird now. It's not, you know, it's not the fiery love that you have when you're young. It's, it's a different love based on history and experience and care and shared, shared experiences, you know, it's just a, a totally Comfort. different thing. Comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love evolves, right? Yeah. I certainly didn't plan on talking about this with you tonight, but no. it's an interesting topic. Yeah, it's. I'm glad you brought that up because it does evolve, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you love the person less. It's yeah. just maybe in some cases it does. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it just means that you kind of grow. You grow. Yeah. Sometimes you grow together. Sometimes you grow apart. Sometimes you grow differently. It's just different. Yep. 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 Um, cool. Uh, anything else you want to cover? I'm looking forward to the next one, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let me give, let me just give like kind of a, a quick bow out here for where we where we're leaving things before the next episode. The greens have several military wins in the reach and in Blackwater Bay. The blacks are losing princes like they're going out of style, but somehow gaining dragons now with a seven to two advantage in that department. The Greens, too, have an issue with their claimant, who is now burned, bleeding, and replaced as the acting king. Meanwhile, the Blacks have yet to really utilize their greatest asset. Military tactician Damon sits at Harrenhal, twiddling his thumbs. So we'll see what comes next. Care to sign off, Matt? I do care to sign off. In the words of Dire Straits and their song, Brothers in Arms, Now the sun's gone to hell and the moon's riding high. Let me bid you farewell. Every man has to die. But it's written in the starlight and every line in your palm. We are fools to make war on our brothers in arms. That's a good one. Dire Straits. Good band. Knopfler. Uh Mine is, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch, but, but pay attention, Chase, because here comes a Monty Python thing. It's not a question of where he grips it. It's a question of weight ratios. And that's in reference to Vermax being taken down by a bolt that was lassoed apparently around a mast. And I think it's really his own weight that did him in and his own speed and trajectory rather than the the bolt itself. The weight so, ratio. Yeah, the weight ratio and where it happened to grip him in the scales could kind of tear through him, so... You know, a five-ounce bird cannot carry a one-pound coconut. Uh, that's true. Then, of course, African swallows are non-migratory. And if you had two swallows carrying it together... They could carry it on a line. <laughs> Stranded tree bark, something like that, I don't know. <laughs> oh, we better stop. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
Okay, good night. Good night. Uh, I don't know. I feel like probably it's a good length um, based on where we landed. I guess we'll see. I haven't heard that phrase very much. <laughs> that it's a good length? It's a, mm. I guess maybe I've heard, like, it's a good length. I mean, I it's mean, fine. That's interesting. And outtake number one <laughs> set. Uh, you know, with soccer. You want them to be as small as possible so they're not getting hit at Targets, all. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. With hockey, you're wearing protection. Yeah, you got your cup. Yeah. So, but when you got such a huge member, you have yeah. to like coil it up in there and stuff. It's well, that's what I'm saying. I think it would be a biological advantage a whole art. to have a small one. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Darwinism <laughs> would say that hockey players, I would think, would be smaller. Right. But. Or perhaps you know, perhaps Darwin doesn't work on a shortest time scale as hockey has been invented. I don't know. All right, Kalisar, thanks for joining us for a fun episode. Three songs to uh, give proper credit to. First of all, we had Sugar We're Going Down, that's by Fallout Boy from their album Under the Cork Tree. You know, that one's not a bad song, but uh, Fallout Boy's first album, Take This to Your Grave, is money. Things fall off significantly after that, but I highly recommend that first album. Uh, Then we had Hands Clean by Alanis Morissette from her album Under Rug Swept. Love that song. And then finally, a song called Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits from the album uh, called Brothers in Arms. So good mix, and uh, we sure had a fun time recording this episode. Hope you guys had fun listening to it. Stay savage, you filthy blood riders. See ya. (laughs) 